Father God, you are the rock on which we stand. In you we find our hope, and in your presence we have new strength. You call us and declare that you are our Father, and we're overwhelmed to be called your precious possession. Lord, in this moment of stillness, look into our hearts. We are here, united, but in our own homes, as we come before you, our Lord of all creation, and we worship you, our Saviour and our Lord. Amen. And so let us confess our sins to God. Lord, most merciful, we confess that we have sinned through our own fault and in common with others, in thought, in word and deed, and through what we have left undone. We ask to be forgiven by the power of your spirit. Take away our nastiness. Help us to forgive others and keep us in your ways of righteousness and love through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And we have this assurance of pardon that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Our sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, there are uh, two readings this morning. Um, the first is from Jeremiah, chapter 23, verse 1 to 6. Um, and then the second is split. It's Mark 6, verses 30 to 34, uh, and then verses 53 to 56. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and I will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous saviour. And then Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 34 and 53 to 56. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, 
He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognised Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to thee, my Lord and my Redeemer. Amen. We're not used, we're not used to hearing about bad shepherds. We've been brought up from childhood to think of them as good. The ones who care for fluffy little lambs. The ones who would do anything to find a lost sheep. David the shepherd boy, alone on the hillside, bravely defending his flock from wild beasts. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I'll not want. Shepherds sent by angels to the Christ child. Jesus calling himself the good shepherd. We know that God chose shepherds for great tasks. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob were all shepherds. Moses, the great, the great lawgiver, was a shepherd in Midian when God spoke to him from the burning bush. David, the shepherd boy, was destined to be Israel's greatest king. The Bible's full of metaphors and kings were often spoken of as shepherds. One of the qualities of expected of a king in ancient times was to be the ability to pasture, to look after his people. In fact, the royal staff or scepter for kings in the ancient Middle East was the shape of a shepherd's crook. There are lots of kings in the Bible. The list of the various kings from the northern and southern kingdom is quite confusing. And summed up in the terms, those who did evil in the eyes of the Lord and those who found favour with the Lord. A good king, like a good shepherd, would provide for, guide and take care of his people, who, like sheep, were often helpless and need guidance, lest they lose their way in life. Today, kings and queens are not so powerful as they used to be. The leadership of countries tends to lie in the hands of politicians, the captains of industry, and those at the head of large institutions. This past year and a half has brought almost daily briefings from cabinet ministers. We certainly know their faces better than before and their guidance, decisions and behaviour are constantly under scrutiny. Local elections, by-elections, and general elections cause us to be bombarded by leaflets telling of us of a candidate's good qualities and their previous experience so that we can consider each in turn on their merits. 
people have usually worked hard to gain their positions. And a quick glance through Wikipedia or the like will often tell you about them. Although we are warned not to believe everything we read. And of course, churches and schools have their leadership teams too. And this, with this comes considerable responsibility. Leaders, shepherds, are accountable to their flocks. It used to be said that history would settle whether a person's legacy was good or bad. But we can't always rely on that when most of us go by what Shakespeare wrote or allegedly biased propaganda of its time. Was Richard III really a murderer? Was King John really as bad as he was painted? Whether we approve or condemn the removal of statues, recent events have taught us to think more deeply around certain issues in our own country. Today's passage from Jeremiah criticizes the bad leaders of his time. Being a prophet wasn't and still isn't easy. No one enjoys being criticized or hearing a message which makes them feel uncomfortable. And sadly, only the passage of time proves or disproves prophecy. Climate change is now recognized by most people, but for many years, the warnings were ignored or ridiculed. Jeremiah was punished for his message that the leaders had destroyed the community that they were supposed to have led, scattering them and driving them away. That they'd looked after their own interests, wealth and power at the expense of the people. That they had shown no spiritual leadership. Rather, they prided themselves on their own power and importance and had abandoned their relationship and trust in God. Unfortunately, Jeremiah's criticisms could well be true of many leaders since. God was hurting because his people were hurting, but there was hope. God would help his people and in time give them good leaders. And the righteous branch from the line of David, who would put all things right, would come. Jesus, that righteous branch, who called himself the good shepherd, was promised. Today's lecture reading from Mark is in two episodes, one in the morning and one in the evening of the day when Jesus, the good shepherd, provided for and fed the 5,000 plus women and children. To say it had been a busy and eventful time is an understatement. Jesus had recently sent out his disciples in pairs on their first mission, the first mission without him. Despite their fears and forebodings, it had been a magnificent enterprise. They had spoken with people and they had healed people. Their mission had been a total success. They were now back by the shore in the Sea of Galilee, eager to tell Jesus about everything they'd done. What wonderful stories they had to tell him. However, their feelings of jubilation had been dampened. Between their setting out and returning, Mark tells us about the death of John the Baptist. Shocking news for the crowds that had come from far and wide to hear him and be baptised. But for Jesus, his friend, and those disciples said to have been former disciples of John, it must have been truly devastating. 
from joy to sadness, a total yo-yoing of their emotions, the adrenaline, the mixed emotions, the exhaustion, the need to talk, the questions to be answered, but there was no time, certainly no peace. No sooner had one of them begun to speak and would be interrupted by a stranger, desperate also to speak with Jesus and to be healed. And soon they were surrounded by the crowd that always sought out and flocked to Jesus. The disciples must have been so frustrated. Mark tells us that they hadn't even had time to eat. Jesus realised how tired and hungry they were. He was their leader and he wanted to help them. He was probably tired and hungry too. So he suggested taking a boat to a quiet place where they could rest. It must have been wonderful, so peaceful, getting away from the crowds. Imagining being with Jesus in a quiet place, looking forward to sharing food talking over all that had happened. But it wasn't to be. They were seen sailing on the lake and their quiet destination worked out so that when the boat pulled onto shore, the crowd was already there waiting for them. The disciples must have been so frustrated, maybe even a bit angry. But Jesus, also tired and probably hungry, was kind. He knew how needy the crowd were. He had compassion for them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And they certainly lacked proper leadership. They were merely helpless pawns, victims of the politics of their land. Oppressed by the Roman conquerors at the whim of, at the whim of a puppet King Herod, who thought only of himself and despised by the religious leaders, who were so obsessed by their own rituals and practices that they'd forgotten how to care for others. There must have been many in that crowd who were ill. Jesus had great healing powers, but he didn't set about healing their physical ailments. He recognized first and foremost their great spiritual needs, and he began to teach them Till hours later, reminded by the disciples of the time and the crowd's hunger, he performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Like a shepherd caring for his sheep, he found a way to feed them. The disciples in the aftermath of a long day and that wonderful sharing miracle were tired. Jesus too was tired but he wanted time to be alone and to pray. So he sent his disciples back to the boat, saying he'd make his own way back to them later. And so the disciples set off, amazed at what they'd just experienced. Overtired, their emotions still very heightened. But there's no easing off for them. Mark tells us that a wind begins to blow and once again, they're struggling having to use all their strength against the wind. Jesus saw them from the land and walked towards them on the water. Thinking they were scared, 
thinking they were seeing a ghost, scared, they screamed. Jesus got into the boat, told them not to be afraid. The winds fell and the seas calmed. Yet again, Jesus demonstrated not only his power over illnesses, but his power over nature. These disciples kept seeing miracles, but still they didn't really understand about Jesus. And at last they reached the other side. That should have been some sort of relief. But Jesus was immediately recognised. He could no longer go anywhere without crowds forming. And so again it began. No rest. A stream of people coming to Jesus, bringing their sick to him, begging healing for themselves, wanting to touch him. Their faith was rewarded, but Jesus must have been so tired. If you remember, when Jesus healed the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, Mark tells us that Jesus felt the healing go out of him. How much it must have cost him to heal the crowds that flocked to him. But like a shepherd with his sheep, he knew their needs, had compassion for them and looked after them. For almost two years, we've seen pictures of doctors, nurses, and many others giving totally of themselves during the pandemic. Transport workers, men and women employed in retail, delivery, emergency service, and countless other occupations. The list of people who have worked tirelessly, putting themselves at risk is so, so long. And there's a lot of tiredness around at the moment. Parents have been multitasking, trying to provide for their families. There's been a lot of worrying going on, and that's draining. We all know someone who's been affected by illness, by money problems, by losing their job. And there's been a lot of praying. And there's a fair amount of wearying guilt too. For those who feel they haven't really contributed, they've been kept safe by the efforts of others. People are definitely tired. The disciples and Jesus were exhausted by their ministering to others. However, Jesus recognised their need for time out, for rest, for maintaining a healthy balance between compassion and care. And most importantly for Jesus, a time to be alone, time to pray and reconnect with God. Our society admires people who do a lot. Society thinks it's important to keep busy. But it's also important to have the right balance. We might not keep the Sabbath in these busy times, but it is important to take time out and to thank God for the opportunity to rest and maybe to be guided by him about how we should be spending our time. There's so much need in the world today. So many good causes that deserve help and attention. But we can't sort them all out. And we certainly can't do it alone. But also, we mustn't leave God out of our plans. 
We need to pray for help and be open to the Spirit's guidance. In a quiet, spiritual time, we might be able to find some peace and free ourselves from the grip of anxiety, fear and endless activity. It will take practice and perseverance. I've joined an Ignatian spirituality group. It's actually run by a Methodist church. We meet once a week by Zoom. And for about 30 minutes, we meditate in silence on a Bible passage and spend some time with Jesus. It's taught me to sit still, a thing I never did before. If we want, we can speak about experience, the experience after our meditation. We're a mixed group, not all Christians. Some of us have only met by Zoom. But these meditations, this stillness, has provoked some sincere insights. And for some, a deepening awareness and closeness with God. A real awareness, too, of the need for gratitude and kindness, and always the reliance on God. In the words of Martin Hohe's hymn, Healer of our every ill, light of each tomorrow, give us peace beyond our fear and hope beyond our sorrow. You who knows our fears and sadness, Grace us with your peace and gladness. Spirit of all comfort, fill our hearts. Give us strength to love each other, every sister, every brother. Spirit of all kindness, be our guide. You who know each thought and feeling, teach us all your way of healing. Spirit of compassion, fill each heart. Healer of every ill, light of each tomorrow. Give us peace beyond our fear and hope beyond our sorrow. Amen. Thanks, Anne, so much. God does indeed and uh, will continue to uh, help his people, so... Um, as we just reflect on all that Anne has shared, um, as we sing the next two songs, As the Deer and Waymaker, let's also um, pray for ourselves and for those that we know and love around us. Where are they needing God's help today? I, I was quite lucky. Uh, for Christmas, I was given a book. I don't know if any of you listen to Radio 4's thoughts of the 4's thought for the day. And there's just something in view of all the horrible things that have happened in this last week that I just want to share with you. And today it just seems so appropriate. Prisoner number 4664 said this. No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love 
comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Nelson Mandela. Now I found that quite striking in view of the abuse that's gone on this week for some of our young footballers. So let us bring our prayers of intercession together now. And as we pray, we pray, Lord, break down those walls that we build. Hear our prayer for those who strive to break down barriers in our society and for all who work to overcome walls of suspicion, fear and hatred that divide person from person and nation from nation. Lord, whatever divides us may much more unite us. We pray for your church in the world. May we bring communities together, challenge discrimination, promote understanding and respect, and bring people together in harmony. Help us to build bridges to overcome whatever walls may keep us apart. We pray for those who are hurting in mind, in body, and in spirit. Heal their wounds, Lord, and give them the help they need. And we pray for those who work tirelessly in our health and care professions, and for those in charitable organizations who are striving to bring help, comfort, and encouragement. Give them wisdom and compassion in all they do. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. And we say together the prayer that Jesus taught us as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And so we go with the blessing of God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, resting and abiding with us now and always. Amen. <laughs>